welcome to Explanation of Benefits, a patient podcast. Join J.R. Clark and Dr. J. Moore as they explore the complex intersection of healthcare and insurance. Whether you're not sure about the difference between a premium and a deductible, or looking for expert insights on the future of employee benefits, everyone can use an explanation of benefits. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. J and JR. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Explanation of Benefits podcast, EOB from Patient. I am your host, Jay Moore. I'm the Chief Clinical Officer here at Patient, and I'm joined here today by J.R. Clark. Hey, J.R., how you doing? Doing well, Jay. How are you doing today? I'm all right. You know, J.R., it's spring. Spring is in the air. Like, we've been in spring now for several weeks, uh, nearly the end of spring, in fact. And we know what holiday is coming up is Father's Day. And I'm a dad. You're a dad. I really enjoy Father's Day. And you know what Father's Day makes me think of more than anything else? What's that? Uh, Dad jokes. I think a lot about dad jokes. Yeah, that's fitting for you. Yeah, I know. I got a really dumb sense of humor and I like to tell all these silly jokes. And so I was curious if you've got a favorite dad joke that you can share with our audience, because if there's one thing that the EOB podcast needs, it's a little bit of humor. (laughs) <laughs> when you're asking an actuary for humor, that, that's... I realize the irony, but uh, we're going to go for it anyway. So you've got kids. We, we both have kids. We're dads. Yeah. Our, our yeah. kids are old enough that they've experienced the uh, the joy and pleasure of dad jokes before. So I'm, I'm kind of stalling here to give you a second to think of one because I know you're working hard. Yeah. I mean, a real dad joke is really in the moment, right? It's when you're honestly like playing off of words and you say something utterly stupid that your kids have to roll their eyes to happens to me all the time yes as opposed to like a a like a rehearsed joke but i guess a good rehearsed joke for this would be kind of a classic one this is a a very mathy joke but it's it's actually one my daughter told to me so i don't know if it constitutes as a dad joke but it's what did the science book say to the math book I don't know, Jr. What did the science book say to the math book? You've got problems. See, that's pretty funny. I enjoyed that one. That's pretty good. <laughs> I'm sure I you're, know, about to, you're about to top it, though. I mean, I do have one in mind. I wouldn't have asked the question if I didn't. That's the nice thing about being able to talk first is that I get to uh, that I get to decide the questions and just watch you squirm um, as you try to come up with the answer. But yes, yes, in fact, I do have a dad joke, and it is it is as follows. Did you know that I only know 25 letters of the alphabet? Oh, really? Yeah, I, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> that was a forceful reaction for your kids would give. The, that was a fake laugh, yeah, JR. It was. It was. That, that's exactly the response you get for a dad joke, right? That's good. I, <laughs> all right. All right. Well, you don't like my dad jokes. That's fine. I guess we could talk about insurance and uh, a little bit about the, uh, the the wide world of insurance, which is also a hilarious and easy to joke about world, right? <laughs> yes, I'm sure that many people get lots of laughs. I know. Out of, out of health care and health right. insurance. You just pull out your insurance card and like, ha ha ha, this is just so funny. Um, makes everybody really happy. Uh, today, JR, we're going to talk about probably the most important thing that an insurance company has to offer, which is the network. I, I think, um, you know, the network of providers. So who actually participates in the network and what do the contracts state, that sort of thing. We're going to actually go through this in a couple of um, couple of episodes, I think, so that we can really cover this in some detail. 
how do you feel about networks? Do you agree with my assertion? And I'd be curious to know if you agree with this or not. Do you think that networks are as important as I think they are? Do you think there are other parts of an insurance company that that is more important? Well, so I do agree that networks are a very, very foundational portion of a health insurance product, right? If you can't get a volume discount for services, then it's kind of like, you know, what is the, what is the underlying value of health insurance? But there's also a whole lot more to networks than just kind of price, which I'm sure that we're going to get very much into today. Yeah. I, you know, maybe if you don't mind, can you remind people when we say networks, really, what do we mean by a, by an insurance network? So in general, when you think about a network, a network is a group of providers, that would be hospitals, doctors, you know, services, medical equipment that are all included in the benefit of the health insurance plan. So basically, if you are getting services at those providers or you are buying from those durable medical equipment suppliers, then you are getting that discount. You're getting access to that kind of cheaper level of care or less expensive level of care. Um, there's also a whole lot more that goes along with those, you know, versus out of network, which would be kind of outside the contract. You're you're almost going to have to pay, for lack of better words, we'll say full freight or at least negotiate it on your own as the consumer. Do you think it's right to say that if I am part of an insurance company, that it's sort of like being in a buyer's club in a way that I, I have these access to things that are less expensive than what I could get if I just went out and bought it off the, you know, just out of the general public? Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. And I think at its at its core value, that's absolutely correct. That you know, you should be able to get a better deal by being a part of a club where, you know, mass service purchasing is happening. And networks, of course, include lots of different provider types. So we think about doctors as the first thing that probably comes to mind, maybe hospitals, maybe doctors, but we also have to think that really any service that you could get through your insurance plan, whether that's a physical therapist or a chiropractor. Or if you go to a lab company and you have your blood drawn, anything that's healthcare related can be part of the network for a health insurer and run through the contracts that the health insurer has set up with that provider. Right, right. And those contracts, I I think it's interesting because the contracts don't only discuss rates. You alluded to this a minute ago. It's not just about the price. So it isn't simply that if I go see my doctor, I might have to pay $150 for a doctor's office visit, but the insurance company has negotiated and and contract that down to $105. So it it costs me a little bit less to go see them. But the contract that the insurance company signs with the doctor also includes rules about how they must accept new patients, what kind of quality score reporting they have to provide, rules about when they can send bills out to people that belong to that insurance company, rules about the types of procedures that are done and what kinds of reviews those might have to go through. Are there other things that you can think of, JR, that are important that are part of the contract as well? Well, so kind of first off is actually I'm going to sidestep like I typically do on your questions. (laughs) You know, you, you gave some high level answers there for things that are part of the contract, but you know, each of those things actually has a lot of kind of sub items that are pretty important. So you talked about, you know, things like, um, who can be billed or when a, a member can be billed, which has its own huge, deep thing to think about in terms of can a hospital just say, hey, I wanted I actually wanted two hundred dollars for that service that the health insurer was only willing to give me a hundred for. So now I'm going to go bill that extra hundred dollars to to the member. You know, like those are really important concepts to dive deep into because they're part of what create the value of a health insurance plan in the first place. That's right. And, and the example you just gave in 
pretty much all of the different insurance products that we're talking about, that would not be allowed. So once the insurance plan says this is what's the amount that we're going to pay and you're not going to be able to go out and collect additional, that's not counting the deductible and the copay and what we call the patient responsibility, as we talked about in an earlier episode. But really, the overall total cost of the service that's being offered cannot exceed a certain amount. And the insurance company can't go after a person and ask for more money beyond that if they're part of the contract. Right. Yeah, the insurance company and and the provider themselves. So why would a provider agree to this? Why don't they just go out and say, uh, you know, I can get $200 for the service. Why would I sign a contract with an insurance company and all the paperwork that comes along with that and have to pay $100 if that's not what I want to do? Well, so two things right off the, the bat that pop in mind. Number one is that, you know, when a provider signs an arrangement with a health insurance company, the health insurance company effectively is bringing volume to that provider. So maybe the provider would have access to a thousand, a thousand patients that they otherwise wouldn't have had access to getting to without a whole lot of work and outreach to get to those folks. And then the second thing is once kind of once a service is rendered, when you think about it, you know, if a person had to pay out of their pocket for it, there's a whole collections process that has to happen that maybe the provider is not equipped to do. And when you think about an insurance benefit, well, an insurer is paying a good portion of the costs in a lot of cases. So it almost guarantees a certain amount of collectability for the provider. Yeah, it's a it's a really good point. And the amount that's collected, having worked in hospitals and worked in doctor's offices, I know that this is true. The cost and the effort that's required to collect that member portion can really be quite high. Um, it's difficult to set up a process that makes sense. It's hard for doctors, especially smaller practices, to be able to track that and maintain good records so they know who owes what and to even know the rules that might vary state by state in how to bill people and what they're allowed to collect and whether they can charge interest and fees for late fees and all of uh, all of those sorts of questions. It can really get very difficult for a provider. And so having the biggest chunk of the payment come from the payer is really a quality of life issue for the doctor's office as well. So it's a really good point. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And even further, you, know, you think about once they establish what they can do in terms of billing, even sending the bill out itself has a lot of restrictions to it because you're, you're containing health information or private health information of the person you're billing, which ends up, you know, causing the security level of what you have to send out to have to be ramped up, which has costs associated with it as well. Yes. Yes, for sure. Um, So let's talk about networks and who participates in networks. So we understand what a network is and why a provider might participate in the network and why insurance companies have them in the first place and, and why they're important. When I think about networks, one of the complicated facts for me to wrap my brain around is that a given hospital, we're going to use hospital as an example, but you could you could insert physical therapist or chiropractor or lab company or what have you, but I'm just going to say hospital because that's what we think of first. So a given hospital can participate in an insurance company's network, but sometimes an insurance company has more than one network. They have several that they will set up. They will typically balance these networks and have one that is a big, broad network that includes almost everyone. And then they have a second network, which is a narrower network that has some people but not others. And then frequently, they'll have other narrow networks that have various combinations of hospital providers and other people that are in a community. That's my understanding, at least. Is that that's uh, that's correct, right, JR? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. 
why, why do they, why do hospitals, I mean, sorry, why do insurance companies do this? Why do they set up multiple networks? It's already hard to do. Why wouldn't you just set up one? Well, so, and again, going back to just thinking of hospitals, because it's the easiest way to, to think about this, you know, every hospital has a varying level of cost associated with it. And every hospital has varying level of services that they provide. And, you know, just take an easy example. If you have three hospitals in a town and two of the hospitals are less expensive than a third hospital, so let's say hospital A and B are both less expensive than hospital C, you know, it, it may be that a lot of people like access to hospital C, but by including hospital C in a network, it makes the price go up. So effectively, you know, option increases cost. And there are some employers who may not be able to afford coverage for providing, you know, access to every hospital that's in the area. And one way that they could afford it is if they only provided access to the lesser expensive hospitals in a region. And so as a consequence, health insurance companies will set up networks that only include maybe the lesser expensive hospitals just to give more options to the employers that would want to purchase in a region. So hospitals can participate in multiple networks, even multiple networks that are both owned by the same insurance company. And this is where things begin to get confusing. And you can get a spaghetti mess of diagrams that show lines going back and forth that show which networks a given insurance company has and which networks a given hospital participates in. So just as an example, maybe we have a couple of different insurance carriers in a market and there are a total of four networks, two that the first insurance company has and two that the second insurance company has. And a hospital could participate in one of the networks from one of the insurance companies and a different network at a different insurance company, or they could participate in both of the networks that are from one insurance company, but only one from the second insurance company. They could participate in all four. And so it can get pretty confusing to know what we're talking about between an insurance company and a hospital. And the reason that's important is from a hospital point of view, if I see a patient, it's not enough to know that that patient is, let's say, a United Health Insurance patient. I have to understand which network that United patient belongs to. Is it network A or network B? Because the contracts are different in those two networks. Why would I do that? Why would I participate in two networks that are both from the same insurance company? Why doesn't everybody just pick one? You're going to participate in number one and you're going to participate in number two. Well, so it's back to that same explanation that we we just went through a little bit ago around, you know, kind of the cost or services rendered within a single hospital system. So you and I worked together uh, in the health insurance industry and in one of the markets that we worked in, there was kind of a, a really neat clear cut example because there were actually three hospital systems in this area. And there were hospital A and hospital B were lesser expensive. Hospital C was more expensive. And there was one insurance carrier um, that actually had three networks set up for those three hospital systems. So network one was hospital A and hospital B. The two cheaper ones. Exactly. Yep. Okay. And then network two was hospital C. Only the expensive one. Only the more expensive one. And they charged 15% more to buy a product in the network that had hospital C than they did for that network that had hospital A and B. Then they offered a third network, which said, let's have everybody in it, hospital A, B, and C. 
And that the cost of that product was actually 40% more because of having that broad access to all the providers that were included. That is uh, that's a big difference. Mm-hmm. And for a given hospital, they might say, put me in my own network all by myself and I'll charge less overall because I will be able to capture more people that come into that network. Because once somebody buys that product, I, I know I'm going to get all their business because I'm the only one available. And so I can afford to charge a little less because I'm getting all that volume. Right. And so this can work in many different ways and is the reason that you can have all of these various combinations and permutations of hospitals that belong to various networks and networks that have various hospitals. If we were a video podcast, I would draw a nice whiteboard diagram, uh, but you're just gonna have to picture this in your head, I suppose. But uh, generally, again, I think the way to remember this is that the larger the network and the more choice there is, the more expensive that network is going to wind up being. It's like a seesaw uh, with cost on one end and size on the other end. And if, if one is bigger, then the other one is smaller and it's going to balance the seesaw one direction or the other. Yep, that's right. So from a practical point of view, from a patient's perspective, so what does this mean when I have care that I need to get and I have a network that includes one hospital but not another one? As long as I stay in the network. So if my insurance company tells me hospital A is part of your network, then I have all of those protections we talked about earlier. The rates are going to be lower. I will not be responsible for balance billing, so I won't have to pay the extra that is not covered. But if I go out of network and I decide to uh, see a doctor that's not part of my in my network, what what happens to me, JR? So two consequences right off the bat that I can think of, and I'm sure you'll think of more here. But consequence number one is that health insurance companies keep a separate set of deductibles and out-of-pocket maximums for in-network versus out-of-network, which means that if I do go out-of-network, uh, I basically start all over in terms of my my deductible that gets accumulated towards throughout the year. And then kind of the second consequence that happens with it is that I don't get any kind of, of deal, for lack of better words, with a negotiated rate with that out-of-network provider. And I end up losing the protections of any potential that the that provider is going to end up billing me more for services that they they need to collect for. So I might wind up with an extra bill that I didn't know that I was going to get. One might even call it a surprise bill. And <laughs> of course, uh, we are in the midst of a brand new era in medical billing and contracts, which is the No Surprises Act, which was made into law this year. And super interesting. We're still waiting to see how this all plays out and if it's going to work its way through the courts and what might occur. But essentially what this means is that now... If I go to an out-of-network hospital and I receive emergency care, they have to disclose to me up front what that cost might be. And if it truly was emergency care, the negotiated rate has to be something that's in line with what they would expect to get if they were part of a network. So it does limit the ability of the hospital to charge that extra amount, even though you as a patient are not in the network that I belong to. Right. And who knows how this will play out? I bet that there are a lot of actuaries having a field day uh, with these analyses to try to figure out how this might change things. Will this change the dynamic of networks? Like, what do you think, JR? Do you think this is going to reduce the value of a hospital, of of an insurance company's network? 
I don't know that it'll reduce the value. I guess where my head goes at or goes to at the start of this is, you know, like you and I both saw situations where, you know, the person was driving through, you know, they have health insurance coverage in Kansas and they're driving through Tennessee and get into a car wreck and they end up in an out of network hospital for services. And before you know it, the bill racks up to be $400,000. And I think, you know, that's, that's a big component of what goes into a health insurance rate is paying for those high dollar claims like that. And so in this situation, you know, if we have these no surprises act, um, like kind of downstream benefits that flow through, you could end up seeing those $400,000 claims be something substantially less, maybe a hundred thousand dollars. And, you know, in the end, rather than diminishing the value of the network, what it effectively does is it just improves the, the premium cost. But don't you think that as a hospital, I might say, well, wait a minute, if I'm going to have to always pay $100,000, regardless of whether or not somebody's in the network or not, what's the benefit to me as a hospital for participating? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, again, you still have all the volume side of things. You still have all of the, uh, for for lack of better words, we'll say kind of the the guarantee of a certain percentage of it being reimbursed by the health insurance company. Anything else you're thinking of there? Because no, no, just uh, just thinking through the consequences and and uh, wondering how this is going to play out. Sometimes things have unintended effects, and okay. we will see. We'll see over time what this means and and what this does. We may be having another conversation a year from now to say, oh, if only we had been smarter, we could have told you what would happen with the No Surprises Act when it comes to networks. Well, notice how you you framed that as a question to me to answer. And didn't exactly weigh in for yourself so that in a year you can look back and say, ha ha, I was alluding to the fact that this would be, <laughs> this would That's change right. the whole complexion of networks in the future. I was just seeing if you could figure it out before it actually happened. Um, so yes, a year from now, next June, we'll come back and we'll say, oh, uh, you remember that conversation we had? Ha ha. You weren't thinking of this, were you, JR? I can't wait for that. That's going to be really fun. Yeah, that is the one thing we can guarantee in all of this is that there are things that none of us are thinking about that could be downstream impacts. Absolutely, for sure. Well, I don't know about you, but my head is swimming as far as networks go. I think that we should probably wrap it up at this point and maybe come back and talk about networks again. I think next time we talk, we're going to talk about contracting methodologies. So how do insurance companies make deals with providers and what sorts of uh, arrangements are there in terms of how things actually get paid for? So I am looking forward to that. I think that'll be a lot of fun to have a discussion about. In the meantime, I'm going to leave you, JR, with one more dad joke. Um, You ready for the fake laugh? Are you ready? I want to hear this fake laugh. Uh, Why don't eggs tell jokes? Why is that? Because they'd crack each other up. (laughs) (laughs) That's an actual laugh. You're genuinely laughing. I've cracked you up. And so I think that's probably a good place for us to wrap up. And we'll see everyone next time on the Explanation of Benefits podcast. So, JR, thanks for being here once again with me, putting up with my ridiculousness and silly humor. And everybody listening, thank you as well for putting up with all of this. Any last words, JR? Any any final dad joke before we before we head out? No, I can't top what you just put out there. So we'll just call it. All right. I'm I'm gonna be waiting next time for this to uh, to come out. So you better you better polish up your dad jokes. It'll come next time. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Bye, JR. All right, bye, Jay.